There's a paper I'd like you to have this morning. It looks like this. There's some gentlemen who are assisting me who are slowly spreading them out. This isn't something you have to do right now. It shouldn't be any surprise to you that the words on the top of it say, final exam. I mean, you've been expecting this for how many months, right? You've been expecting an examination. I mean, we've spent an enormous amount of time talking about the need to rebuild our lives after the dismantling that COVID introduced to us. And we talked about how important it would be to get the main things back into our lives first. And so we spent some time trying to articulate what those main things might be. For months and months and months, we have talked about how important it is to make sure we rebuild correctly. And the fact that this really is an amazing opportunity. Because I don't know about you, but my life seems to just pick stuff up like a lint brush as I roll through life. And not everything it picks up that I end up doing are things that really are the best things to be doing. They just sort of stick to me and I keep doing them. And it's nice every once in a while to have the slate cleaned and to get to start over and decide what it is you really think is most important and rebuild life around that. And COVID really has given us that opportunity. We have the chance now to rebuild and we should look at that as the blessing of God as we move forward into a new day, understanding his promises for us haven't changed. They're the same as they've always been. He still promises to prosper us, to give us a future in the kingdom, to use us for the sake of this unshakable kingdom that we're inheriting. So we should still be optimistic folks, looking forward to the new day that Christ has for us. And so the final exam is all about inspecting for the positive possibilities perhaps hidden in the grace of God for us. You understand every crisis has the possibility of positive outcomes for some. And we in the kingdom of God have the confidence that the Holy Spirit is at work. So there are always positive possible outcomes for us because that's really what Romans 8.28 reminds us, isn't it? that everything works together for the good of those who are called according to the purpose of God. So for those who are in the kingdom, God can bring good out of anything for us. That should make us optimistic, I think. I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but something in my spirit has switched just this week. Um, I, I just feel like we're on the edge of things getting a lot better. I'm just starting to believe that, and, and I've always known what I'm about to say, but there's a difference between knowing it in your head and starting to feel it in your heart, right? And I'm feeling like things are getting better for us. Things are gonna get better, that God is bringing the possibilities of his grace to bear on us, that we are going to experience the favor of God, that he is going to bless us, and most importantly, he is going to use us for the sake of his kingdom. I believe that can happen. So, the final exam. We spent time in four particular areas for the last six plus months or so. And we began with what I think was the most important thing, the school of prayer. And in the school of prayer, I read to you this passage of scripture. Do not worry about anything. 
but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We talked at length about corporate prayer, how corporate prayer, about how praying together helps to keep us moving in the same direction with common goals, with common procedures and common values. That in prayer, together we glorify God. In prayer, we are given what we need to accomplish the goal of living as salt and light in this community in this day. I mean, you and I were given for such a time as this. We are in this place in history because God wants to use us as salt and light in our communities right now. So where you live, where you work, where you go to school, God has a purpose for you there. He wants to use you in that purpose and you will discover that purpose as you pray. Without prayer, you waltz through life unaware that the Holy Spirit is speaking. Prayer is you speaking and you listening. I'm in an interesting class right now. I'm, I'm working with the 11th grade Cornerstone Bible class once a week, teaching them contemplative Bible reading. And you know what the word contemplative just implies? You have to be quiet for a while. Silence. And I started them last week using a stopwatch and we were silent for three minutes together. If you don't have any experience of being quiet, do you know how hard it is to be quiet for three minutes? I mean, there's several generations of folks now who have grown up with so much screen time, so much constant stimulation, that the thought of being quiet for three minutes can be a little frightening. And I promise you, by the end of the class, there'll probably be up to 15 minutes of silence and wishing for more. Because once you get a taste of silence, once you see what it feels like to relax in the presence of God and begin to listen to him, you don't want to go back. You really don't. And if we don't have that space for silence in our life, how will we hear the Spirit of God speak? And how will we know what his purposes are? And how will he use us in our community? Our fruitfulness is dependent on prayer. Another thing that's dependent on prayer is our common commitment to integrity and honesty, justice and compassion. And these commitments are shaped in us together as we pray together. We encourage one another towards those goals as we pray for one another. We've established two weekly times for corporate prayer here as a part of our local discipline. At 10 o'clock every Sunday morning, I'm at the altar right here praying, inviting anybody who wants to join me during that time to pray. So if you want to get here early, some of you are in Sunday school at that time. That's excellent. Others might be here a little early. Come at 10 and join us for praying. And then every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we meet right here at the front of the church and we have corporate prayer together. Corporate prayer doesn't replace private prayer. It's a both and kind of a thing, right? We pray daily in our homes. We pray multiple times in corporate times. And I'm hopeful 
that we will continue to create small groups that will allow us to pray together more frequently during the week as well. Because prayer is significant to our being useful in the kingdom of God and for the unleashing of the transforming grace of God in our own lives. The second area we talked about was the school of service. I've talked about the example of Jesus, the command of Jesus, the role of service in our own spiritual development. We talked about how important service was both inside and outside the church. We raised the availability question, like, are you available? But this is what we read from the, from the scriptures. This is Mark 10, starting in the middle of verse 43. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, you know the argument. You, you know the example Jesus set us, the, the basin and the towel scene right before Jesus is crucified. I mean, the argument is, if even the exalted Son of God did not come to be served, how much more should you and I, who have no divine status at all, invest our lives in serving others? You know that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And when he did that, he said, I have done this as an example for you. That's the clear teaching of Jesus, right? No mincing those words. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. We're foot washers by trade, I guess. That's the example that Jesus leaves for us. And you've probably noticed by now that now that our dear associate pastors have moved, there are more feet around for you to wash, right? Because the workforce has shrunk a little bit. And because we don't have everyone back from COVID stuff, that workforce has shrunk as well. And the shrinking of the workforce means we spread the work out a little better. And I appreciate all those who have been coming alongside and, and supporting the work of the church by taking on extra duties while we are reconfigured things. It's been a blessing to me. The third thing we talked about was the school of sharing. We talked about being prepared to share our story, right? Our story of salvation, our story of the grace of God, the story of our encounters with Christ through our life, and to make sure that our story, when we share it, fits into the reflection of his story, right? So that we understand our story in terms of his story, and that it's really important. I mean, you have no chance to be salt and light if you aren't lighting the way to Jesus, right? That's what it means to be light. We are reflecting Jesus, the light of the world. And it's in sharing his story and how our story fits into his story that we invite others into his story. That's a fundamental part of what it means to be his children, that we might be fruitful for the sake of the kingdom, that others can see Jesus in our lives. First Peter 3 said, and we've read this a few hundred times. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
always be prepared. So, you know, part of the final exam, you would expect to find this on the exam, right? If the scripture says, always be prepared, that's like a teacher saying in class, you know, there's three things that you should know, and these will be on the exam, right? Because then you start taking notes because you're going to get quiz. When the scripture says, always be prepared, you should know that's going to be on the final exam, right? We, we need to be prepared to tell our story. So if I say to you sometime in the lobby, hey, would you tell me your story? You should say, of course, I'm prepared for that. Let me just tell you. Let me tell you how I came to Christ. Let me tell you about the influences of it. Let me tell you how good God has been to me, right? As a minor diversion, the meat of your story isn't how deep into depravity you sank before Christ lifted you. We all acknowledge that we were deep in depravity before Christ lifted us. The meat of our story is always the gracious activity of God to rescue us, to forgive us, to save us, to free us, to liberate us, to establish us in his kingdom and give us new life. So if you look at the story you prepared and it's 12 pages about how miserable you were and 13 words about how God saved you, get the proportions right, okay? We're not going to glory in what we once were. We are going to glory in what Jesus Christ has done to make everything new. That's our story as it fits into his story. The other piece of sharing we talked about was sharing resources. Psalm 96, 7 taught us, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his courts, worship the Lord in holy splendor, tremble before him all the earth. Part of sharing is sharing our material resources, not only in terms of tithes and offerings in the church, but in compassionate ministries beyond the walls of the church, looking out for neighbors who are in trouble, we, we share. And these disciplines of sharing help make us into the generous people that God desires us to be. There's significant passages in Scripture that talk about how important it is for us to care for the stranger among us, the alien among us, the poor among us. Uh, read through Ruth's story again. You get an idea of how important it was to God that folks be cared for, that, that our compassion mirrors God's love for others, right? We need to love others the way God loves others. And so we share not only our story, but our resources, whether they be material, whether they be in terms of time, whether they be in terms of intention, compassion, whatever it is that needs to be shared by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The last thing we've talked about most recently was how significant worship is and how in some ways this ties all of these things together. We talked about four basic movements in worship the act of making confession or witnessing that, that he is God, that we are not, so that we can demonstrate a proper 
fear, awe, respect of the Lord. That worship also includes the act of giving thanks through words and offerings and sacrifices. That worship includes the act of seeking God and seeking the presence of God, whether that happens privately or corporately. In worship, we're seeking, we're, we're reaching out to our creator. And that's an important function of worship. And last of all, we talked about the act of appearing before God for accountability. It's convenient that we ended there, considering we're in a final exam today. Because this is a piece of our worship, of appearing before God in order to be accountable. And we don't, any of us, much love that. But I think we, who have been Christ followers long enough, know that the truth of the matter is, unless we choose to present ourselves before God in accountability, we never receive the direction that we need to make things right, to seek forgiveness, to improve our performance before the Father because he's the one through the Holy Spirit who reminds us when we're off course. We use the term, he's the one who convicts us of sin, which means he, he tells us the truth about ourselves. He says, you know, Whitney, that word was not wise. You need to say you're sorry about that. And, and then when he says that to us, we say, of course, you're right, and I will do that immediately. Because that's part of what it means to bring yourself in accountability before the Father, right? Scriptures teach us. You've heard the prayer prayed many times. Search me and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. That's, that's a posture of worship that brings us before the Father in accountability. And I don't know that if I can, I don't know if I can say this loudly enough or frequently enough, but it's my conviction that the main reason perhaps we need to be in church every week is because we have six days a week of the culture trying to push us in an opposite direction. And if we ever had a chance of staying on course, staying on the highway of holiness, staying on the straight and narrow pathway, it will be because we purposefully, with discipline, bring ourselves back again and again in accountability before the Father. Because we need his course correction continually if we're going to be useful to the Father. You and I both know that the enemy wins if he just keeps us from doing our job. He doesn't have to damn us to hell in order for him to win. All he has to do is keep the church of Jesus Christ silent and unfruitful. And he will lose a few, but he'll gain most people. But if the church of Jesus Christ will not stand for status quo, if we will refuse to be sidelined, if we will refuse to be distracted from our mission, and if we will bring ourselves back again and again in accountability before the Father and say, Holy Spirit, what must happen for you to use me? And Holy Spirit, whatever you say, I will do. When we bring ourselves before the Father in accountability in that way, then the Spirit can use us in ways we've never considered before. If we're always fighting the battle of our personal will, what we want to do, and always demanding our own rights, 
We're never going to get to the place where we submit enough to the Father to find out what he wants us to do so that we can actually be salt and light in our community. And so it's vitally important that again and again we bring ourselves in accountability before God as our spiritual worship. But isn't that what Romans 12:1 says? Present your bodies as living sacrifices. This will be your spiritual worship. We, we sacrifice ourselves before the Father and say, Lord, what you want, this is my worship of you. Enable me to be your people. We, we must have that. And so we worship in corporate ways. We worship in daily ways. Aaron and I were talking uh, this morning about the fact that we really need to update our church website because it's been about four or five years since we posted all the links to worship music that you can find on the website, and there's new stuff that needs to get posted up there. If you're not sure what resources you need, what music you might want to listen to to help, to help focus your personal worship, there's about like 200 songs on the church website that you can just click on, take you to YouTube or someplace, and you can hear these songs that, that help you bring your attention to God. Because that's the goal of personal worship, right? To present ourselves before the Father so that we can have interaction through the Holy Spirit with God. And so that we can be accountable before them. So in the face of all these presentations, in the face of all these words, all these sermons now have been stretching on from eternity, I think. I read James 1.19 to you this morning. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Boy, if we could only convince Facebook to put that in their masthead of the website, right? Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That would be very helpful to the culture. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now listen to verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I think what James is saying, if you see the truth as if reflected in a mirror, and then you make choices concerning what you should do, it's important that you carry out the choices that you make while you're seeing the truth. I have no idea how the scriptural presentations 
that have been made over the last six months or so have hit you. I have no idea what the Spirit may have whispered in your ear. I am confident that the Holy Spirit has probably not whispered everything on this final exam that I've written into your ear, but likely some part of it has been whispered into your ear. I also suspect that what he's been whispering into my ear is not the same as what he's been whispering into your ear, and that's a cool thing. But the questions I want to ask you simply are these. Has prayer found an increased role in your life? Are you praying more consistently than before? Are you praying with others? That's question one. Are you serving others, either through the ministries of the church or in our community? Like Jesus, have you wrapped a towel around your waist? Next, are you sharing your resources with others through tithing, through compassionate giving? Have you shared the story of your faith in Christ? Are you looking for opportunities to do so? Have you taken time to consider and prepare what you might say if given the opportunity? That was questions three and four. And last of all, are you worshiping God corporately in some fashion and individually on a more frequent basis? Are you making yourself accountable before the master of the universe, seeking him and praising him for his graciousness to you and to us? That's the test that comes at the end of every school semester. So how are things? If the review is discouraging to you, I would encourage you in this way. The goal is not to score 100% immediately. Some of us I know can hardly live if we don't get a perfect score. I recognize that. This is what Paul has to say. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We want to press forward. We want to be accountable to God for our forward momentum. And we want to embrace the disciplines that are necessary to put ourselves in the sweet spot to receive the transforming grace of God. That's our goal. And I am confident that as we do that, God will reveal himself to us, will show us the pathway forward. But it's important that there be times of quiet and consideration where we think about what he might be saying to us. So I encourage you, take the final exam with you sometime during the week. Give yourself at least 15 minutes of quiet, if you can muster that. 
if you can get the kids to sleep that long while you're still awake. And consider the questions. And ask the Holy Spirit, what's for you? And, and what's for us together that we might glorify him? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word that continues to teach us and for your spirit that inspires us optimistically to look forward to the plans that you have for us. Help us in these days, Lord Jesus, to hear your voice and to be exactly who you call us to be. Enable us to be obedient to all that you say. Give us a heart for you. Renew in us a passion for you. Pour out your spirit on us in increasing measure, I pray. These things I ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. And now may the light of Christ shine on your faces like the light of the sun, that you may glorify him now and always. Amen.